Uh, recently, I was listening to a podcast of a well-known pastor, podcaster, somebody that people would probably know of, and he made a comment that I begin to wrestle with. This is a few weeks ago. Actually, it's what started this sermon for me personally. He said this, secular culture is not the greatest threat that we face. The greatest threat that we face is the reality of being utterly distracted. Now, that sort of messed with me a little bit in a couple ways because he was very definitive. It's not secular culture, it's distraction. And I started to think about how it's both and that they work together. So you have the message of secular culture and you have the delivery system of that culture, which I'm calling digital Babylon, and it utterly distracts us from the things that are important, but it distracts us by the things that usually aren't that important. And I thought, wow, this is a very important topic to discuss. I just want to brush up a little bit on ancient Babylon so that you know what I'm talking about. In the Bible and historical times, ancient Babylon is known as this massive city from which the Babylonian Empire ruled the known world for a few chapters in history. It was luxurious, it was spiritually diverse, it was sexually deviant beyond imagination, it was prideful, it was violent, and all of the above. I mean, you could just, in summation, say that it was an evil and a wicked culture. And so great was the impact of Babylon that you read it not only in the book of Genesis, the Tower of Babel, the word Babel, that's an abbreviation of Babylon, but you actually read in Revelation 17 and 19 that Babylon the Great has fallen. In Revelation, the personification of a wicked culture is Babylon. And my eyes started to kind of open to this and I begin to think about it a little bit more deeply because none of us, listen, none of us live in physical Babylon. That's Iraq right now. That's naturally speaking, that's Iraq. But we all live in what I'm calling digital Babylon every day of our life. If you've got Wi-Fi or you have a data plan, you're connected to this digital world that we are all a part of. And I think we need to recognize something today. We need to understand that the primary way most of us are being influenced is not the public square. It's not physical spaces. I mean, when's the last time you had a robust conversation at the store? or even your work for that matter. Many of you work from home. When's the last time that we were really highly influenced by many of the physical institutions that we're a part of? Unless we're sitting under someone for a very specific reason, that's really not the place that we're getting most of our information, or even potentially, that's not the way that we're starting to think the way that we do. It's happening in the digital world. That's where we are all getting the majority of our in information uh, these days. And I want to talk to you about this for a while. Now, I want to show you a picture. This is what I'm calling the evolution of the personal computer. How many of you remember IBM 1981? How about Apple Mac? Remember the DOS system in 1984? Oh, yeah. I didn't go to a school that had computers until really, really late. And I can remember a game called Oregon Trail. <laughs> Does anybody remember this? The goal of Oregon Trail was to follow Lewis and Clark all the way over to Oregon, and hopefully you'd get there without dying of dysentery or something like that, which always happened to me. And then we can't forget the laptops. 1992, I don't even want to show you a picture of what they started looking like, and now we have, I mean, we just have all these devices today that we're so used to. In fact, there's so much computer power that is going on right now in this service behind the scenes, and we don't even realize it. We're so accustomed to it. We're so used to it. In 1993, the World Wide Web had 130 websites. That's 30 years ago. In 1996, just three years later, there's 100,000 websites. In the year 2000, 17 million. And now today, we're at 1.1 billion and growing. I remember getting internet access somewhere around 1998. I was 18 years old. I was a proud Juno Net Zero customer. Does anybody remember that? You remember dial-up? And then you could go get something to eat and come back and you might be ready. It was incredible. You could go take a shower and you'd be booted up. It was awesome. I didn't get an email address until I was 19 and I worked at Washington Mutual. I mean, I'm not even that old and I feel like I'm old. This is how fast the world is moving. But there's another invention that perhaps, in my opinion, is the greatest invention that we've, that we've probably ever seen 
on a personal level. And, that, and that's this. Go ahead and show this picture. It's the evolution of the smartphone. Now, there are versions of smartphones that came out before 2007, but we all know the real smartphone came out in 2007. There are Android users in the room, and I've met a few of you. <laughs> and I understand that you're there. And I love you. I'm not judging you at all. This is a place where we don't judge you. Amen, we don't. We don't judge. It's not right. God says not to do it. But this is an incredible, this was an incredible invention, no matter how you look at it, right? This is like, an inc there is more power on a smartphone than any person in history could have ever imagined that we would have at our fingertips. And the way that I think of it, it's very godlike. It's very godlike. And I think that's changed the way that we live our life. I mean, God is omniscient. That's not an attribute that we share with God. God knows the past, the present, and the future. And isn't it interesting how we're connected to something that tells us almost everything to the point where we feel like we don't need anyone or we don't need anything. It's very godlike. What about God's omnipresence? God is everywhere at the same time. You and I are not. And yet it seems to me that we're connected to something that can almost make us be anywhere that we want to be. You can pull up a live stream right now in almost any country. You can be somewhere that you're not physically present and we're connected to it. And I wonder if that's maybe given us a God complex. I wonder if it's affecting us in deeper ways than we probably realize. You know, Statista and Pew Research say that 85% of all Americans own a smartphone today. I'm not, uh, <laughs> it's gonna be a little heavy for a while, but I'm not coming at you today saying that I think digital technology is all of the devil. I'm not saying that. In fact, I really do enjoy a lot of digital technology and a lot of advancements. Can, can I get an amen? I just, <laughs> all right, I don't, want you, I don't want you to fall over here. So, I mean, I really do. I love the fact that it's convenient. I like scheduling. I don't forget appointments anymore. They're on my phone. They schedule. And there's even a notification just in case I forget to look at my phone. Amen. Because they knew that would happen to people like me. Don't get no notifications up in service, you know, turn those off. Uh, that's what you might need to do. But I like the convenience. I, I like that I can order from Amazon and get something on Tuesday. Don't you like that? It's, a, it's miraculous. Amazon man or woman, I, you're miraculous. I enjoy that. I like the communication that I can have video calls with my friends around the world. How many of you, you got, you got friends and family around the world and you get to talk to them? You, you just, what would it be like if I didn't get to see them and, and the video calls and they allow us to do things? And let's not forget live stream. Right now we have people that are tuning in and I love the fact that that's the case. Don't tune out. Don't tune out. Amen. Don't turn that dial. Don't do it. I love the education. I've learned so much from uh, YouTubers. We call them influencers. I mean, there are times where I have no idea what to do about my plumbing or electrical issue. And I just get on YouTube and there's Joe, Jally, Sam, Tyrone, they're all there. And they just, they help me and I feel so good about my life. I feel educated. I feel like a plumber or an electrician or a counselor or something. I feel better than I usually am. It's great. I, lo I love all this, and, and I don't want you to think that this message is to condemn every and, and all things digital. That's, that's not how I think, and I don't think the Lord wants us to think that way, but I do want to warn us today that the digital world does come with a lot of downsides, and if we're not aware of those or we're not talking about them, I think we're going to get sucked right into something that, that God does not God does not want us to be influenced by. As I prayed about this message, I was dwelling in Psalm chapter one, and I, I, I want to share this passage with you, and I want you to think with me a little bit about this in context to the digital world that we're all a part of. Because I think what we often do is, is the, this text was written in a world that we don't relate to. They didn't have planes, trains, automobiles. They couldn't interact quickly. They had no digital platforms. Uh, they had no, the, the ability that we have today, the, the, David wasn't talking about any of that stuff, but we live in that world. And so there are times where we read passages and we say, that doesn't relate to me because we're thinking about it in terms of physical spaces. But what if we took this passage and we applied it to the digital places that we're connected to? I wonder how that would change our interpretation of this just a little bit and maybe give us some conviction about how we're living our lives because that is... 
the primary place where most people in 2023 live. Look what the psalmist writes. Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1. He says, How blessed is the man, and it does mean man and woman, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in each season or every season. And its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Amen. This is the word of the Lord today as we read Psalm chapter 1. The book of Psalms opens with these six verses, and I think I can understand why as I start to consider it a little bit deeper within the context that I'm putting it in today. The psalmist basically does this. He contrasts two paths that have two corresponding outcomes, and he refers to them as the wicked and the righteous. He says this, the righteous are like trees that are planted by streams of water. They're blessed, they grow, and they flourish. And then he says, the wicked are like chaff blown in the wind. They're perishing, and their end will be the judgment of God. So here he lays out two paths, two outcomes. He's very clear, but he gives us another insight that we need to look a little bit deeper into. He's talking about the influences that these two types of people uh, are under. And he does this with the righteous path in mind. Basically, he says this. He says, the righteous do three things, or, do, or don't do three things, but they always, I'm hearing a phone. Can, isn't that amazing? I'm talking about digital Babylon. I'm hearing a phone right now. And it's like back here somewhere, or maybe it's, maybe it's you. Please silence your phones at this time. I'm going to get distracted, you know. Amen. And get all intense. More, see, my preach will get more intense. You don't want that. Amen. You don't want that. It's already too much. All right. The righteous don't do three things, but they always do one thing. That's what he says. And the first thing they don't do is they do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. This means simply this. They don't receive or listen to or heed the advice of the ungodly. They do not receive the advice from people that don't believe in and follow God. He also says they do not stand in the path of sinners. That means they don't hang out in the territory or they don't stand in the place or the way where they're going to receive from the ungodly and that corresponding perspective. And then the third thing, they don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Some translations say mockers. They don't dwell or take up residence and become like those who mock. Now, I don't know if you see it, but he's actually talking about how these three things are a progression. It goes from being influenced by the ungodly thinking to becoming that very way yourself. And I think today we might be able to read this passage and say, Pastor Ben, that's not me. I don't, I don't take my advice and my cues from people that don't believe in Jesus, and I don't follow that way of thinking, and I don't do, I don't do any of that. But let me ask you a question today. What if you and I whether we believe it or not, know it or not, are sometimes on a conveyor belt of influence in the things of the world, we don't even realize it. What if that's happening? Let me show you a picture. I want to read something. What are they doing right here? They're walking. I don't know how they are. They're like, oh, Lord, thank you. Bam! You know, I mean, I don't know how it, it works. And every time you get one of those memes online where somebody runs into a pole, it's mildly funny. It's mildly funny. But what does the Bible say? It says, they do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Wonder what they're, wonder what they're reading online there. How about the next picture? They don't stand in the path of sinners. Now, they're at this really important game right now. Are they at the game or are they somewhere else? Okay, let me, let me bring it a little close to home. Let me see the third picture. They don't sit in the seat of mockers. Hey, guys, how are you, how are you, how are you guys doing today? How's your breakfast? All right, thanks for sharing. That's great. Awesome. Now, I know this one's a little close to home, and I'm not judging. I'm nudging. Amen. That's, there's a big difference between the two, you know. I don't know where the line is, but this is, a typical, this is a typical American family right now. 
And although I'm, I'm not saying that, that that's what the psalmist meant, but I just wonder, we can say that I'm not, I'm not walking in the counsel of the wicked and I'm not standing in the way of sinners and I'm not sitting at the seat of the mockers, but what if this thing is connecting us to a perspective that we wouldn't otherwise have if we, if we weren't as maybe overly connected as we are? What if that's the case? I don't know. You say, Ben, this is a lot of bad news here we're talking about. Well, wait, it gets worse. It gets worse. <laughs> don't go nowhere. Don't turn that dial. I want to talk to you just for a few moments. Before we get to the good news, I want to talk to you about a little bit more bad news. I want to talk to you about five negative effects of living in digital Babylon that you and I, we need to be sober about. Number one is truth can be diluted, dismissed, or revised. Every post, every tweet, blog, news briefing, movie, TV show is filled with ideas about how we should live and what we should believe. So if you don't have trust issues, you should. Now, am I teaching you to be distrusting of everybody and everything? That's not what I said. What I said was, is that you and I need to have issues where we're not trusting everything that we read, everything that we see, because it's not all that we might think that it is. Now, I want to show you another picture. When it comes to the news and how that's being delivered to us, I know you know this, but let me tell you what you already know. This is a graphic that shows the predisposition of the major news outlets that you and I regularly consume. And what it does is it tells us the far right, the center right, or leaning right, the center, and by the way, that's not reality. Nobody's at the center. This is not reality. Nobody's at the, not in the polarity that we're in today, but that's what it says. And then there's the leaning left and then there's the left left. And you're, you're looking up here and you're like, well, Pastor Ben, I only, I only get the post-millennial. I, I only get the New York Post or the Reuters. I, I'm saying you need to know this, that what we're consuming and the messages that are being delivered to us, the videos that are being produced for us and delivered to us. They come with a predisposition. They come with a belief system. They come with ideas. So before they ever write anything, before they ever produce anything, they already think they know what this is or what this means. So by the time they produce it and they shell it out to us, it comes baked into it some ideas that they want to convey to you and I. And here we are, the consumer, and a lot of times we don't know if what is being said to us is true. Now, I know this might sound a little conspiratorial, but I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong about this, friends. There are some people that go a little too far with this, all right? I'm not, I'm not here to validate that, but I do want you to understand that there is a documentary called The Social Dilemma, and if you haven't watched this, you need to. There are architects of social media literally telling us this. This is what they say. It shows that media and social media companies have designed AI algorithms to collect data from us and use it to control our online experience. We are being influenced by someone and or perhaps something. It is happening and you and I need to be aware of it. Let me give you an example. Recently on Saturday, as we just prayed, there was a war that happened. Hamas is the military arm of, of the Palestinian people. 75% of the Palestinian people in Gaza voted for Hamas to be the military arm of them, just so you know. There are innocent people, of course. We care about the whole world. We care about every nation. Can I get an amen? We care about every nation. But there's some things that we forget. If all we are is plugged into the news, then we're going to start thinking about these natural things and who's occupying what and even the idea of an apartheid state, that Israel is an apartheid state. Most people don't even know what an apartheid state is. Some people from Africa certainly know what that is. But an apartheid state and the occupation of Israel, these ideas are floating around so that there are protests all over our country. Anti-Semitic rhetoric. Jews are under duress and persecution. They've not even done anything. This has been going on for years. And I want to tell you something that the Bible tells you. The Bible says this, whether you like it or not, whether you think it's fair or not, it says that God chose a people called Israel. He set them apart and he gave them a purpose. And that purpose 
was to bring forth the temple, the law, the sacrificial system, the Torah, and ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ so that every person, every nation, every kindred, every tribe, every tongue would have an opportunity to be reconciled with their heavenly father. He chose a nation and he set them apart. And he said, I'm gonna put my affection on you, not because of who you are, but because of who I am. And you're gonna bring forth the Messiah so that the whole world has an opportunity to come back into relationship with me. God chose that. You're not going to hear that in the news. This people has been under persecution for as long as they've existed. Now, do we give them a pass in every secular decision that they make as a state? No. God's the judge. We don't give them a pass. But there is a spiritual war that's going on. It's called jihad to the Muslim. That's what's happening in the Middle East. And it's sad that people don't realize that. And that's why when you watch the news, friends, they're not bringing on these scholars of the Middle East. They have these news anchors reading this script to you. Why don't you bring out some Middle East scholars? Why don't we have some really robust dialogue? Why don't we talk about the land? Why don't we talk about the history? Why don't we talk about all of that? Palestinian people, Israelis, why don't we do that? They're not doing that. They're reading a script because they have an agenda. And I would tell you at the top of all of it is to get you and I to like subscribe, share. Whether we're happy or we, we're angry, it doesn't matter. The truth doesn't matter. The Bible says this. We're going to talk about it next week. It says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. How many of you know that these companies are making millions and some of them billions of dollars? They don't care it's the love of money. I don't trust these people at the top. I don't trust that what we're getting often is of the Lord. Friends, we have to be aware of that. I know how crazy it sounds. I mean, if I were to preach this 15 years ago, people would be like, oh, I'm not going to that church. <laughs> but now I'm saying it and people are like, I'm glad you're saying it. Because we've seen too much. We know too much at this point. Am I saying don't watch the news? No, I'm saying balance it out. Balance it out. Paul said in Romans 12, 1 and 2, he said, we can't be conformed to the pattern of this world. That's happening digitally. It's too easy to become scrolling saints instead of devoted disciples. Can I get an amen? There's more coming. We must carefully discern the narrative that we take in with the truth of Scripture. The world's going to tell you a natural narrative, try to argue positions, but there's a spiritual reality underneath it all, and we need to understand that. And if we're more consumed with Scripture, we'll know that, and our discernment will be on when we're hearing these messages. We'll know it. Number two, emotions can be controlled or compelled by digital Babylon. Our emotions are being hijacked, and it's on purpose. The digital world entices us to anger, in fact, glorifies anger, and stories are told in a way to engage our emotions and to make us upset because the things that provoke fear and the things that provoke anger, those are the things that sell. I don't care if you're right or left. Those are the things that sell. They're shareable. We call it click. You guys all know. See, I told you. Click. <laughs> we know what this is. So we look at the shocking thumbnail and we click on it because it sounds awesome and then we realize it is what we should have thought it was. We should advocate for substantiating claims, rational debate, respectful dialogue, and thorough research, but oh no, we'll settle for clickbait. It's exciting, it's racy, it gets our emotions going and the digital world is crafted to engage people and enslave them because it's, it gets subscribers. And here's another thing that's happening. We're getting desensitized. We're losing our compassion. You know how it happens? Here's the headline. 1,200 people murdered, massacred. Next headline. Donald Trump is crazy. <laughs> I mean, I don't... <laughs> or whatever. Joe Biden's losing his mind. Or what, all, all, the, all of the above. Like some political meme. Making fun of somebody or bringing something to light or whatever. And so we go from a murder... We go from a shooting that happened down the street and two people were killed. We go from that to some kind of political meme. And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to say it's right or wrong. I'm not, I'm not trying to talk about what we should or shouldn't do. I'm just simply saying right now, like we go from this, we scroll to this, we scroll to this. And my question is, what's it doing to your soul? What's it doing to our children being raised up in this generation and they're losing their compassion, their love for people, their ability to see people, to think about what they're thinking about, 
Are we thinking about the people that are suffering right now? Or, or are we, like the rest of the world, just engaging in arguments over a plot of land? Are we thinking about the suffering? See, that's it. we're losing something here and we don't realize it. We're drawn into unproductive arguments, which the Bible warns against. Some people call um, the folks that do this a lot, they call them trolls. What a weird... <laughs> Trolls. I mean, don't be a troll. Who wants to be a troll? Have you, have you ever been on like social media and you saw a post and you were triggered? Okay, let me use a different word. You don't like that word. Have you felt inflammatory? <laughs> have, you, have, you, have you been enraged? Have you felt upset perhaps? Have you? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Do you have any restraint to stop before you say something back? You don't like the fact that they said it, but you've bypassed the fact that you're a person that's going to respond to the thing that you don't like, and you have effectively become a troll. <laughs> kind of think of some like nasty thing in a cave, you know, I can't do it right. If I, if I can, that probably says something about me. I, I don't know. The Bible warns us against this. Unproductive arguments. Four occasions, the New Testament says, don't engage in these kinds of conversations. Don't do it. It warns us. It literally tells us, but have we applied that to the digital world? I think not. See, what I'm saying is, is that we read the Bible and we think about physical places and we go, Pastor Ben, I don't, I don't, I've never said anything to Pastor Suzanne. She's delightful. And if I've disagreed with her, I certainly wouldn't say it to her face, but you've been doing it online all the time. And what you haven't done is you haven't taken your Bible and started applying it to this digital world that we are connected to. Isn't that interesting? Wow. I hope that's the greatest revelation that we get today. We also develop extreme expectations and we get saddened or angered by, we, by what we think people do or don't do. This happens all the time. And I want to give you an example of this, a terrible example in my life. At the church I was at with my family previously, there was a couple that came to the church for about six years almost. I knew them, they knew me, but we weren't close. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Ben Dixon and his family, whether I'm a pastor or not, we go to church every week. That's just us. I'm not trying to judge you. You know, you're going to live your life, but I'm saying the Dixon family, we go to church. We go to prayer meeting too. Amen. We go to prayer <laughs> in the middle of the week. I'll drag them all. They're all coming. And we go on Sunday, but not everybody does that. So this family had a habit of coming once every four, five, six weeks, okay? So I didn't see them for maybe two plus months. I didn't see them. And apparently what happened during that time, I found out later when they did come to the church, as I'm engaging with them, they were angry. They were upset. It was visible. You could tell. So I asked them what's going on. And they told us that they were in the hospital and they had a terrible uh, a tragic thing happened with their child and they were in the hospital. They posted this on social media. Here's what you need to know. Most of our staff members, we were all fasting from social media. Some of our staff members weren't even on social media. I know that's a cardinal sin. Terrible, right? <laughs> but I hadn't been on it. I hadn't looked at it. I hadn't been on it for a couple months. I didn't know what was going on. They thought that we all knew what was going on and chose not to respond to them. That's what they thought. In one week, they left our church after being there for six years. I want to tell you something. I ministered with that staff. I was there 15 years. I was with those people for 10 years on staff with them. Those are some of the most loving people, I mean, besides our staff, some of the most loving, responsive people that I've known. If they thought something was going on, not only would they call, but they would go to the hospital. That's who they are. Those are those people. I'm that way, they're that way. They would have never not called. They would have never not emailed, texted, try to get in touch with them, send something to their house, go to the house. They would have never done that. And so what happened is at the end of the day, they thought this is what we did and this is who we left. This is what I'm saying is that we have these expectations and it starts our emotions. It engages our emotions in ways that's that are inappropriate. We don't even realize it at times. The digital world can literally control and compel us in ways that, that we don't want. Number three, human connection becomes more difficult. I realize that online community has helped people. I, I respect that. I'm glad that we had live streaming COVID. I'm glad we have it now. Some people cannot physically come to church. I'm thankful for, for all that. But I do think with the increase 
of the digital world, it has caused us to connect less and less to people. I think that has happened. I remember, you know, after, not after COVID, but during when we were gathering, I mean, we were closed down for a few months, but I can remember folks coming into the sanctuary, some after not being here for a year or more, and they were experiencing a social anxiety they've never had before, a type of PTSD that they've never known. Amen. There's no judgment for that, but that's, I saw that starting to happen with us. And so as people acclimate, as we come back together and we walk through what just happened, and now we're seeking again to love each other, to, to rub shoulders, and, and, and it's probably going to be a little irritating at first, be a little hard, be a little, be a little difficult. But I want to say to you that the digital world does not give us everything that it promises, it makes authenticity difficult because we curate a version of ourselves online that isn't always fully true. And I'm not even saying we mean to because how many of us are going to actually air all of our dirty laundry online? We're not going to do that. It's not right to do that. I'm not saying you should do that. But you only are going to post the things that are celebratory. And so people don't get to know you. That's not going to happen. You have to have real connection. It promises to connect us closer, but that's not what happens. And so we jeopardize our authenticity. This can deeply impact our spiritual community. It deeply impacts church. And here's all the things the Bible tells us to do as Christians. It says that we're called to fellowship. That means that we share things and have things in common. We rub shoulders with each other. We get to know each other. We encourage, we forgive, we love, we serve one another. How does it affect evangelism? How does it affect our ability to communicate the gospel and his love and serve people in the name of Jesus? How is it affecting that? How is it causing us to, to stop perhaps doing any of the things that the Bible calls us to. Well, there is a social reversal that is taking place right under our nose. We are never alone by ourselves, and we are more alone in public places. That's happening. You go to games and, and as parents, we've, we've got to be careful that we're there with our children and we're, that we put our phones away. Amen. Put our phone. I always, I never have my phone in service. Well, I do when a guest speaker comes, but I always put it away. But then I have, my, I have my Apple Watch, and so that's not helpful when it starts to ding, you know? You're just connected. It's, it, it, I was praying for somebody last service, and it's like ding, ding, ding. H&M has a sale, <laughs> Old Navy or whatever. Did I even subscribe to this? What is happening right now in my life? I thought I turned the notifications off. But the connection, you know, it's affecting us. That's why when we go to games, we're not really there. That's why when we're at church, we can't stop doing this, right? I'm not trying to judge you. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. If you're on your phone, you're probably looking at me now, but, but, <laughs> or sleeping, you know, I'm not trying to judge you at all. <laughs> have a dream. You at least got to have a dream. If you're going to sleep in church, you got to have, Lord, give me a dream in Jesus' name. Just <laughs> thank you, Lord. Old men shall see dreams and young men will see visions. And, amen. We're Pentecostal. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I have a good excuse at least. Have one, you know. Amen. Just I didn't sleep last night, so I it's been a rough day today. I didn't so some of you didn't you need to sleep. Maybe this is a place of peace. But so we're we're there, we're present, but we're not present. That's what's happening to us. All right. Number four, time can be wasted. The Bible has a lot to say about this. It says, don't waste your time. It says, make the most of your time. It says, your days are numbered. It says, idle living. Many times in Proverbs, it makes you lazy. See, it's not just about wasting your time. It's about being distracted from the things that really matter. That's what it's all about, really. Distraction is the enemy of discipleship and loving God and serving others and being about God's work. And our, our cell phone becomes literally a cell that we're imprisoned and incarcerated by. That's what it becomes to us if we're, if we're not careful. So we post instead of pray. I'm just praying today for Northwest Church. And we, send, uh, we even send our emotions to each other. Praying hands. Sad face. Happy. And then the one when you say something you shouldn't. That's like my favorite emoji, that one guy that's like, I got that guy. He's like the first one. But we send, <laughs> we send our emotions to each other. We, 
heart, love you. <laughs> what, about, what about calling? What about connecting? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it almost, I think it almost is getting to the point, especially in the next generation, it's getting to the point where we're annoyed by somebody calling us. That's how far this is controlling us. We're making excuses for it too, aren't we? We're saying, oh, you know, this is better. What if we made a decision to retrain ourselves instead of just continue to accept and accept? Because here's my question. Where's this train going? Where's the train going? I wonder. See, we didn't think we'd be here. Did you guys think you'd be here? 30 years ago. 30 years ago. That's, that's when I, I actually remember. I'm, I'm 43. I'm turning 44. I can remember having a black and white TV. I'm not that old. I had a black and white TV, and my parents held out for the color TV. And then we bought a 13-inch color TV. And, and, and we sound like old people saying this stuff. What are the young people going to say? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Well, media and social media is absolute proof that prayerlessness is not due to a lack of time. That's for sure. Number five, spiritual life can diminish. I'm going to get to the good news, so breathe. I'm going to get there, I promise. I want to show you another picture. Okay, look what this shows us. This is uh, according to Barna. This is, a rec- uh, not, this is a study that's not too long ago. This is the reality of how digital engagement outweighs spiritual engagement. It's talking about 18 to 23-year-olds, but I think for all of us, it does apply. 18 to 23-year-old typically engages 2,767 hours of screen media per year. That's seven and a half hours a day. And I know you don't believe that, but it's actually true. Typical 18 to 23-year-old churchgoer engages 291 hours of spiritual content per year. So that would actually, what that means is that's 0.8 out of the 7.5. But here's what we know. 700 times more content coming into a young person than spiritual content. What's that going to do to our soul? I was a youth pastor in 2001. You guys can't picture your pastor being a youth pastor, but I was. Well, I wasn't hip. I was not hip. I was <laughs> Judah Smith was right down the street and Jude Fuquay and everybody went to their youth group. But my youth group went from five to 15. I'll have you know, we tripled. Amen. We did. We were successful. Our church was 60, so whatever. I mean, I thought it was great. I remember I was youth pastor when the internet, it was during the time where people were getting email addresses for the first time. The internet was taking off. Not only that, but that was also the time where the iPod shuffle came out. You remember those? Okay, the, the, the big ones with a little video screen on there and you could, you could hold like, we were 5,000 songs. Now it's like 100,000 or whatever. Unlimited. <laughs> just stream it. That's what we do. We just stream it now. But those came out, and I can remember feeling so discouraged as a 21-year-old youth pastor because I had been given an hour and a half to three hours a week with these young people, and most of them came from decent homes, but not discipleship homes. So they probably weren't getting a lot at home, and I could tell by the way that they talked and the way they didn't know the Word of God, I could just tell. And so I have like maybe at most three hours a week with these young people, maybe, And they would come in and they'd have their earphones in and they're listening to all this other stuff. They're watching all this other stuff at home. And I can remember feeling discouraged because I couldn't get any of them discipled. It just, that's just how I felt. It's like, I don't even have a chance. I don't even have a chance. You're going to give me 30 minutes with your young person? I'm not going to have a chance. What am I going to do in 30 minutes when they've got seven and a half hours on this a day? That's how I felt. What's it like today? What's it like today? When young people go to camp, you know one of the greatest things that happens at camp is they got to leave this at home. Yeah, it's called withdrawals. <laughs> First day's terrible. They're just like, I hate you. <laughs> That's where we find they tried to bring it with them. <laughs> We're trying to still get it because some of them, you tried to slip it through. All right, we know. We know. But I'll tell you, the withdrawal doesn't only happen with the kids. It also happens with the... It does. We can keep blaming the kids all we want, but the fact is they're getting it from somewhere. One of the reasons why young people encounter God and even adults encounter God at camp is because they detox. And when you detox, you start to hear the voice of God again. What if if this is true, that God is speaking to you more than you and I can hear and discern and that we're just being filled up with so much so much of the world that we can't hear. 
And as much as you and I pray, God, I want to hear your voice, it is not possible until you turn down other things. It's not possible. I want you to hear that today. It is not possible. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, do not love the world nor the things in the world. For those that love the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Do you know why? Because you can't have two masters. You cannot love God and the spirit of mammon. You cannot love God and the spirit of the world. And what I mean by is you can't show your affection and give your heart and your time over to everything else and have anything left for God. That's what he's talking about. The love of the Father is not in you because you don't have any time or attention or affection left over. This is what happens to relationships that we, are, that we have all the time. You can't love your spouse. You can't love your kids if you're so focused here. If you're just a workaholic and that's all you do is you give your, yourself to your business and to your work, you can justify it however you want, but your kids are gonna grow up without your shaping voice in their life. The same is true in our relationship with God. The same is absolutely true. Years ago, I heard a pastor say something that startled me. He said, what's it gonna be like for a generation to be raised on internet pornography? I remember when he said that, I thought, this was years ago, 15 years ago, and I thought, yeah, what's it going to be like? What's it going to be like for our marriages? What's it going to be like for sexuality? What, what's it going to be like for the way we see our identity, the way we see our body, the way we relate to God? What's this going to be like? And here we are today, and I won't go through all of that. One thing is for sure in all of this, our spiritual lives will erode if we're not intentional. And that's where I want to bring to you the good news. So what is a basic spiritual strategy for living in digital Babylon? Because it is possible to be a thriving disciple in the world that we live in. The first I want to encourage you today is limit your digital engagement. Some of us, we have to be online a lot for work. I, I keep doing what you're doing. I get that. I'm talking about more of the extracurricular. I'm talking about the entertaining things. I'm talking about the extras, okay? When I'm saying limit your digital media, I'm talking about reasonable limits and regular fasting. Reasonable limits and regular fasting. Here's what we do. We hear a message like this, or we feel guilty because we're spending too much time online, or maybe we look at our screen time and it tells us what we don't even believe. It says six hours yesterday, and you look at it and you go, there's no way. Oh, there's way. That must be a background app that's running there. <laughs> I've heard that. Sometimes that's true. I mean, that can happen. So we get all emotional about it. We, we react instead of respond. And we sit, we go, oh, I'm gonna, de we delete all of our apps. That's what you're gonna do right now. Some of you, you're deleting apps. <laughs> you just, um, I'm not on my phone. I'm deleting, I'm deleting. In fact, <laughs> we do have ushers at the door today with a large box and we're willing to collect all of your digital devices. In fact, can I tell you something? A friend, uh, I knew, I, I, when I was preaching in the last service, he sent me this. <laughs> he, sent me this. he said, um, in Psalms 81.12, it says, says, this is God. He said, I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. <laughs> that man does not know how to read the Bible. I'll tell you what. <laughs> it's horrible. Don't respond emotionally. Here's what I want you to do. I want to encourage you to do this. Sit down this week and take inventory about your digital engagement, the extra stuff in your life. Sit down and take inventory. What are you doing? How are you doing it? How much of, you, of it are you doing? And then on the other side of the piece of paper, write what are you losing as a result of it? What has God called you to? What are you losing as a result of that? And then write out a plan, an intentional plan about how you're going to engage digitally so that it's healthy. That's what we need to do. Regular inventory. Every couple months, do this. Do this for yourself. Do this for your family. Make sure that you're in control of your digital technology and it is not controlling you. That's what I'm saying today. Number two, exercise regular discernment. Proverbs 4.23, watch over or guard your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. The writer is saying we need to guard what comes in because it inevitably will flow out. So regular house cleaning. What are you allowing to entertain yourself? Exercise discernment with what's coming in. Sexual content, violent 
content, vulgar content, worldly content, political content that continues to fire you up and make you a worse person. I want you to be informed. I don't want you to be inflamed. Come on, that was good. You should have said something. Ouch. (laughs) Dang. Wow. (laughs) Just take it in. I don't know. So porous right now. It's awesome. Doesn't this happen? Has the digital world also made us accept things that we didn't, like we laugh at things that we used to not think was funny? You know what's an interesting phenomenon in Christian homes? I don't have much time, but I think this is worth saying. A phenomenon in Christian homes is that when Christian parents raise their kids, they actually put limits on their children. You know, not just being strict, but just trying to be healthy. They're saying, okay, you know, you can have a half an hour, or you can have an hour, or you can have this much, or you can engage in these apps, but you can't do the rest of that. So we do that in our home. Amen, some of you Christian parents, that's what you do, right? You oversee your home. That's the right thing to do. But you know what's amazing? As you get older, you start to loosen up on your own life. The same things that you and I teach our kids, we start to loosen up. We would never want them watching that, laughing at that, but then we start laughing at it. Come on, am I talking to somebody here today? We start to loosen up the things that we were teaching our own kids. Well, I'm not talking about legalism, but being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I want to be a pure voice. I want to be a pure vessel. And that means I've got to regularly discern and house clean these things in my life. You can't, you can't have all this and be a pure vessel and a pure voice for the Lord. You just can't. It's not possible. Does our media have more of a voice to us than the Spirit of God? Discern the voice that is speaking to you always. Always discern the stranger's voice in whatever package that it comes. And the last thing is most important, seek God first. Matthew 6 and verse 33, it says to seek first the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God, and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. God will take care of you. Jesus taught in Mark chapter 4, I think it's in verse 23, He said that there were four kinds of soils, there were four kinds of hearts. The the word, the seed goes out on all these different hearts, all these different soils. One of them was the thorny places, and it says the pleasures, the cares, the worries of this life. The more we get into this, where we don't need to, the more we get consumed with the pleasures, the cares, and the worries of this life. And, And part of my challenge for you today is have we been interpreting what Jesus is saying through the lens of the world that we live in, or has it just kind of come up under us and we didn't realize it was actually causing us to do the very things that Jesus said don't do? Where we're applying the scriptures physically, but in reality, digitally, these are true of us, maybe if they're not physically. I want to challenge you with that today. But seek God first. Spend time with God first. Engage spiritually because the shrinking of our digital world is for the sole purpose of increasing our spiritual world. And that needs to happen. Are you and I strong enough for the days that are upon us? Are you spiritually strong enough for the days that are here? We must be. We must be. My job as a pastor isn't to tell you what to do. Hopefully, if I'm a good pastor, it's to prepare you for Jesus in whatever way that I can. That's my job. I am here to prepare people for Jesus. But make no mistake, that is, that is what we must do is to prepare our lives for Jesus. The psalmist says in verse 2 of the chapter that we're reading, he says, the righteous meditate on his word day and night, and they're blessed. It is possible to be a devoted disciple in the midst of digital Babylon. It's possible. But we do have to be intentional. And I want to invite you into this prayer. This is King David in Psalm 27. He writes this, and I begin to think about how this is the desire that we want. So it's a prayer we need to pray. He says this, One thing I ask from the Lord... This only do I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. When David prayed this, he was telling the Lord of his desire, but he was also asking the Lord to keep him true to this. We need God to change our appetites. I'm not inviting you into a works-based kind of Christianity. I'm telling you, whatever we need, is always found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He will give us the appetites that long for him, but we have to ask him. We have to ask him, and we we need to be willing to put things on the altar. That's what it means to be fully surrendered. That's what it means to be totally his in every stage of our life, to be his. 
But I want, to, I want to pray this prayer with you today that this would be the desire and the longing of our heart. One thing I desire, and that's what I will seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord, not dwell in the mocker seat, not stand in the sinner's way, not receive the advice of people that don't believe what I believe, have the purpose that I have, follow the Savior that I follow. No, I want to dwell. I want to abide. I want to take up residence in this place of God's presence and to behold his beauty, to see Jesus for who he is. Because I believe this, when we see God and his son, Jesus Christ, for who he really is, we want him more than anything else. But there's a lot of things that are trying to veil us from the son of God. And so would you stand to your feet? Let's pray for that today. Join my heart as we do. If you can, just go ahead and assume the position. This is uh, receiving from the Lord. That's what, that's what we're doing, receiving from the Lord. Do you need your appetites to change? Do you need the desire that God wants to give to you? Let's ask him together. You can go ahead and pray with your own words. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus. I agree with King David in this psalm. One thing I desire that I will seek is to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Your presence, oh God, I, I pray that, Lord, you would show us Christ, the beauty of Jesus. It would displace these other paths, these other desires, these other things that we go after, the worries, the cares, the pleasures of this life. Father, we just prophetically say no to those things in the name of Jesus. I pray that you would excavate areas of our heart. I pray that you would give us discernment today. I pray that you would bring conviction to our life, not just to feel bad for something, but that we might have more of you in our lives, to empty ourselves of that in order to have more of this. God, I, I pray that we would be stronger in you in the days ahead. That's all we want. We want you and nothing less. Lord, I pray that we would not allow ourselves to be satisfied with any substitutes. There is no substitute for your presence. There is no substitute for your word. There is no substitute for your truth. And God, I pray for that longing to increase in the days ahead for all of us here at Northwest Church. Bless your people, I pray, in Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said, amen and amen. Thanks for listening today. Pastor Ben's mission is to equip the church to impact the world. If you want to get connected, check the show notes and visit bendixon.org. From there, you can learn about Pastor Ben's other podcasts, the books he has written, Ignite Global Ministries, and the online Immersion Discipleship School.